0: You know, it's hard when your microphone can't work and you can't switch to a new one. You know, you're just kind of stuck. Well done. Way you just go with it anyway. I appreciate that. Everybody give Matt a big round of applause for being flexible. I don't know about you, but flexibility has become a value of mine lately. <laughs> There's no way around it other than that. But I do want to thank all of you guys, for those who consistently financially partner with us as a church. I, that's how we move the vision forward. Obviously, the Holy Spirit and His power can do whatever He wants, but we get to partner together in it, and I think that's such a privilege and a joy, and to know how many of you are sowing into this, man, I'm just so grateful for it. And today, um, we're going we're gonna to kick off, we've got only got two weeks left, believe it or not, in our series through the book of Acts. Just two weeks. Next week, we're going to finish it up completely. And so, uh, all those online, thank you guys for joining us as well. If everybody could wave back at that camera. Back there in the back, I know that you are with us in this at the same time, Um, but today as we prepare to finish up the book of Acts, we're going to be in Acts chapter 27, looking at a powerful and quite relevant story uh, given what we're going through currently in our society. But uh, before we get there, um, while they're trying to get something queued up back here, like, like a lot of you guys, I've been watching a lot of the footage of... Louisiana, after that devastating hurricane, uh, that category four Hurricane Laura, just basically flattened the entire region. I don't know about you, but I've seen those videos of of homes removed from their foundations. Entire first floors, just storm surge, went right through the middle of it. And I couldn't help but to feel this burden for these people. And while I know that seems like, man, you're starting off with a downer, Kirk, the thing that kept hitting me was where do these folks find hope in the midst of this? I know that Louisiana, that many people there have been through storms like this before. But how many can they take before you just start to lose the sense of hope? And I just started feeling burdened by that this week. Because it felt like, you know, we've all seen 2020 we wish was just done, right? And we and feel like just one more thing. Where do we find hope in the midst of situations like that? Where do they find hope? And as I was wrestling with some of these questions this week, I remembered this video that I'm about to show you. Back in the first week of March, I don't know if some of you remember, but several tornadoes ripped through my home state of Tennessee. Even went through my college town. We had a couple of fellow alumni lose their homes over it. And watching some of the devastation after that, after these uncontrollable events, just imposed themselves upon this region... But then I saw this video. There's was this church called Cornerstone Church right outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Their whole sanctuary had been blown right through. But the piano was left intact. So despite all the devastation that was going on with this particular congregation, this is how they chose to respond. Play this. Now that is a picture of a light in the midst of darkness. To see these, this church, their whole worship space completely blown through, but it didn't stop their worship, did it? And I remember watching this interview with the pastor after that video went viral... The pastor said, yeah, we're rebuilding our sanctuary. He says, but don't be mistaken. He said, we're out in the community. He says, we're handing out water. We're handing out food, cleaning supplies, prayer, whatever it means. He says, we're not just, like we have some people on our church. We have a plenty out in the community as well. And I thought, man, what a picture of the church. That in the moment when they were, could have every reason to fall into self-pity. They instead stopped and said, no, we're going to worship our God. We're going to serve our community. We're going to show the world in the time when the world needs hope the most, we're going to stand up as a picture of that. I thought, man, Lord, I need a reminder of that again. Because for us right here, right now, I know, I feel we're in the storm We're in the midst of our own storm, uncontrollable events, grief, somewhat imposing themselves upon us as a society. And it's so easy for us to lose hope, to lose sight of what really matters, to stop worshiping, to start complaining, to stop focusing on others, and to start focusing on ourselves. It's so easy to do. And I'm wondering, God, where do I find a hope like that? And when I turned and started reading through Acts 27 this week, Thought, this is it, God. (laughs) This is such a picture of hope in the midst of a crazy storm. See, Paul... We're following his story. He is in the custody of Roman guards. He's being taken from Caesarea, where we saw him last week, all the way to Rome on a ship across the Mediterranean. But it's a bad time of year to sail in the Mediterranean. It's early October, and and they eventually make their way to this island called Crete, if you get a map up there. This island called Crete, you can kind of see it on on the right side of this screen, or your left side. It's on the western side of the screen. They make their way eventually to Crete, and they're in this town called Fair Havens. And Paul says, whoa, 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 Captain. I'm not sure it's a good idea to sail right now. He says that the water is going to be super choppy at best. It's going to be deadly at worst. The captain ignores him, and they move on anyway. But I want us to see what happens next. Check with me. Acts 27, verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow... They, the captain and the crew, saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. They were trying to make it just a few hours down to this port city called Phoenix for the winter. They weren't even trying to make it all the way to Rome, just a little ways down. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So they gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Calda, the lee is at the eastern side, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Cirtus. they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. They took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being Saved. Everybody, repeat after me: Say, God, speak to my heart, speak to my mind, transform my life. In Jesus' name, Amen. A storm is always a test. Whether it's a literal storm, like the one in this story, or whether it's just a a host, a gust of uncontrollable events imposing themselves on us at the same time, a storm is always a test. Because for the church of Jesus, our response in the storm matters. We are called to be people who represent an eternal hope in the midst of a wrecked world. But... If we as the church of Jesus are placing our hope on the same temporary weak foundations that the rest of the world is, what's at stake when the storm comes? If we are trusting in money, position, things that ultimately we can't take with us past this world, what's at stake when the storm comes? If you're taking notes with me on our app, you can follow this. If the church is blown along the currents of anxiety like everyone else, we're no longer the voice of hope in the storm. I need to repeat that. If the church is blown along the currents of anxiety like everyone else, we're no longer the voice of hope in the storm. So here's the captain. They're right off the island of Crete, if we can get that map right back up there. You see him now on the eastern side of this map. They've made their way to Fair Havens. And they decide they're going to make it just a little ways down to Phoenix. And they're teased because this gentle breeze comes out. Just enough where the captain says, I think we can make it. But just right after they leave port, there's this hurricane force wind called a northeaster. We know a little something about those around here, don't we? Yeah, it sweeps down from the mountains of Crete and imposes itself right on this ship, pushing them south toward northern Africa. And immediately they become afraid. Why? Because they're a sailboat. And if whatever the wind does, they're completely at the mercy of this storm. And so they panic. Now everyone on board is a part of the crew. They're all doing everything they can to try to make this thing work. First, they go to try to get the lifeboat. And they're hoisting it out as the waves are battering it back and forth. They eventually get that up. They pass ropes underneath the hull of the ship because as the the waves mercilessly batter the ship, they're afraid it's going to break apart, so the ropes keep it together. They throw an anchor down just to try to influence the direction the ship is going. Eventually they decide, we have to throw the cargo overboard, which is a big deal because the cargo is their what? Income. That's how they make money when they get to Rome. But it shows they're desperate to survive now. They're not so much worried about money. And I wonder, as the storm battered them for days, how it just started to zap their hope. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Not eating for days. Either because the food is now spoiled by salt water, or, number two, you're just too seasick to eat anyway. You're wondering if you'll ever see your family again. But these pagan Greek and Roman sailors, they're wondering, what did I do to make the ocean gods angry? They feel small. Insignificant, beaten at the hands of an uncontrollable storm. And while I don't think many of us have experienced a shipwreck lately, we certainly know what it feels like to be at the mercy of uncontrollable events, don't we? And to feel that sense of hopelessness at times. You know, a personal storm is when the doctor says, it's cancer. When you find out a loved one dies unexpectedly, when your business has to file for bankruptcy, when the person who promised their whole life to you decides to leave. Yeah, that's a real personal storm. But we're also in a very unique time in history and that we are collectively going through a storm together, aren't we? We feel that the, the, a lot of uncontrollable events imposing themselves upon us in this pandemic. And like the crew who are with Paul, when a storm strikes, anxiety becomes quite contagious. And by anxiety, I I don't necessarily mean the the clinical diagnosis, right? By anxiety, I more mean that that perpetual feeling that I'm not sure it's going to be okay. If hope... Is a peaceful confidence that it is gonna be okay. Anxiety is that off and on drumbeat in our gut, in our mind, saying, I I, I don't think this is gonna get better. Is this ever gonna get better? Anxiety is how we often feel after we are five months into this COVID storm. We're sick of hearing about this darn virus. We're starving to be with real people. We're trying to catch our balance as this thing is just rocking all over the place. On top of that, we realize there's nothing we can humanly do, I can do on my own to make this just go away. So you feel trapped. And on top of that, we don't have our vacations that we normally scheduled. We don't have our, our, our friendships that we can just get together with. We don't have our routines. All of these things used to be things that helped buffer some of that anxiety in our lives. When all those things are different, it's like these, all these force, forces converge together to create this storm. And all of a sudden, we start soaking up anxiety like a sponge. Anybody with me on that? Don't worry, I'm getting the hope too. But first, we need to understand where we are. Because I know some of you might say, well, yeah, I, I've seen other people are anxious. I'm not really struggling with anxiety, though. I don't consider myself an anxious person. But what I have begin to see is that while we may not always see ourselves as an anxious person, we may still have symptoms of absorbing anxiety from the world around us. And I've noticed a few symptoms. Maybe you would add more, but I've noticed a few key ones and I've noticed this in the church of Jesus. Number one, anxiety makes us reactive instead of wise. All right, I'll make sure you're with me. Here we go. Anxiety, instead of intentionally thinking how we're going to respond or what we're going to say, we just hastily act. Instead of having a filter on what we say, we just Blah, verbal vomit all over people around us. Instead of thinking, how might my words or my actions impact somebody else? We just, blah. That's reactive instead of wise. But number two, in anxiety we follow the herd instead of standing on our own convictions. See, the herd is just... Whatever my tribe, my people is doing or saying, like, I just assume that's right. <laughs> if, do, if they change direction tomorrow, well, I just change with them. In other words, instead of anchoring myself in my own convictions in the hope of who I know my God to be, I just somewhat let the winds and the waves take me wherever the people around me are going. Reactive. Follow the herd. Third. Anxiety can cause us to easily view the world through a lens of cynicism instead of hope. What is cynicism? Cynicism is when we start viewing the world through the lens of our disappointments instead of our hope. And I get it. Five months, you had plans. Man, you had hopes that you could go on vacation. You had hopes that you would have a job. Some of you, you've lost loved ones. And those are real. Those are hard disappointments. But what's easy, and what's a natural reaction for a lot of us is that those disappointments start to harden our heart. And they start to cause cause us to view the world through that. And so we automatically assume it's not getting better. Or somebody says they're going to do something, they're not going to do it. Our leaders we start viewing them through the lens of cynicism. A leader that we may disagree with, they're not just wrong, they're evil. <laughs> they're malicious. There must be something else they're not telling me. That's cynicism. When we start viewing the world, and some people say, well, I'm not cynical, I'm just a realist. And everybody around you is saying, your reality is super dark. But that's what happens. Anxiety begins to shift our reality. Our reality. Painting it through the lens of our disappointment. Reactive. Following the herd. Cynicism. Last. If we don't trust it's ultimately going to be okay, then we're just going to focus on feeling better right now instead of looking for a lasting true hope. See, a product of anxiety is that we just try to mask over or numb the feelings of it instead of addressing the root of it. That we just say, hey, instead of actually doing some soul searching, instead of actually going to God and wrestling through these things that I'm struggling with, I'm just going to eat a pint of ice cream. (laughs) I'm just going to binge watch a show for a few hours until this feeling goes away. But guess what? The anxiety didn't. Just because the feeling goes away doesn't mean you have any more confidence that it's going to be okay. We've learned to mask it, numb it. And so we see that, that, that when society around us, in the midst of the storm, they're, they're freaking out. That, that It's easy. We see the reactivity. We see the following the herd. We, we see them ultimately looking at the world through a cynical lens or just focusing on numbing how they feel. And we say, ah, oh, man, well, they're that way. But do we see those things in our own lives? Do we see some or any of these within us? And the truth is, if we're floating down the current of anxiety like everybody else is, who's going to speak a hope? Who's going to speak a different word? Who's going to show that, wait, there's a different reality. There's a true reality of who our God is. This is the time when we need to be the church of Jesus. This is the time when the world needs to know his hope. Not just through what we say, but how we live. That yes, the storm around us is unpredictable, it's uncontrollable, it's exhausting. But where do we find hope in the midst of it all? Because the truth is, when the world begins to see that their own hopes and foundations are crumbling and not standing up like they once thought, they're going to go looking for something else. And where are we ready to give them a hope in the midst of that? Do we ourselves, forget anybody else, do we ourselves have hope right now in the midst of this? Because with our faith anchored in the God over the storm. We find hope in the chronic anxiety around us. Let me explain what you mean by that. But first, going back to the story, the storm continues to, to batter this ship around like a cat playing with a mouse. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really quite pitiful. And as all, everybody else is freaking out, the temperature is high, everybody losing their minds, Paul stands up and gets everybody's attention. Now, Paul's a prisoner. But it just shows. Sometimes storms give even prisoners opportunities to share. (laughs) And let's see what Paul says. It's about to get good. Acts 27, verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. All right, Paul. Yeah. You told us so. Then we would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So here's Paul. And I I love. I had a seminary professor who once told me this is a perfect example of Paul being a thermostat instead of a thermometer. What in the world do I mean by that? A thermostat instead of a thermometer. See, a thermometer... All a thermometer does is rise when the temperature around it rises. Whatever the environment is, the thermometer just follows the environment. A thermostat shifts the environment. A thermostat creates a new climate. So when everyone else were losing their proverbial heads, the temperature was rising in the midst of that boat. Paul does not rise with them. He speaks a word that lowers the temperature of that Of that whole boat. He shifts the atmosphere. He says, keep up your courage. That can also be translated, receive hope. Now, if I was a crew, and I heard a man say, keep up your courage. I'm like, (laughs) buddy, we're exhausted. Do you not see what's going on? What do you mean hope? Courage. I don't have the ability to beat the storm. There's nothing I can do about it. This is a really terrible time, Paul, if you're about to give us some sort of cheap hope. That would be cruel for him to do that. But see, hope is cheap in the storm. Unless it is grounded in the God over the storm. What's interesting is Paul does not give a motivational speech of, You can do it. Believe in yourselves. If anything, these, after these sailors had been battered around for a while, they would have seen right through that kind of nonsense. It's like, it doesn't matter what we believe. This ship's going to go down. But to these pagan Greek Roman sailors, Paul just comes right out with it. and He says, an angel of the God to whom I belong stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. you know, sometimes, even if the people we're speaking to don't yet believe, it's necessary that we just come right out with it. You know, there are times when it's, it's really important, if we're going to share our faith with somebody, that we build a relationship, we build trust, we actually gain the right to be able to share our faith with them. But sometimes, you just got to come right out with it. And we see that Paul is like, man, I, I don't have time to mince words. I'm just going to tell you straight up. You may think I'm crazy. You, I, I know you don't believe me yet, but I'm going to speak the word of God over you. I'm going to speak the promise of God over you. You may not be ready to take it yet. And he says next, he says, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. He's like, I know you don't yet. I don't expect you to. I don't expect you to. But I'm going to hold on to faith, and I'm going to continue to speak a different thing into this atmosphere until you believe. See, sometimes in order to be a thermostat, we're the only one who believes for a while. Before an environment's going to change, we may be the only one speaking hope into it for a while. We might feel quite alone. We may feel like nobody else is with us. But if we keep going, and we keep believing, and we know God's promises are true, eventually they are going to see. And if they choose to not see, that's not on you. But we're called to be faithful messengers of love and truth, hope in the midst of all that's going on. And but my ask is like, how was Paul when no one else around Paul seemed to be believing in that moment? How was he able to stay steady in the midst of his faith? And I believe it's because Paul knew how to spend time with God in the storm. My question is, where did the angel appear to him in the middle of a busy boat? I think he found a small place to be alone in the bottom of the ship. And even though the ship was being rocked around, he was praying. He was worshiping. He was singing. He was trusting God. Because God had already given him a promise before that he must appear to Rome. He knew this was not going to be the end. But graciously, God sends an angel, shows up and confirms his promise to Paul yet again. And if we are going to remain steady in the midst of this storm, it's important that we learn to regularly, daily find time to be with God, to worship him, to remind ourselves of his promises, even in the midst of the storm. We can't be a thermostat otherwise. We can't. So despite the fact that we may feel alone, and we may still be in the middle of the storm, that's how Hebrews 6.19 can say, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. But you know what? It gets better. Because we not only worship the God over the storm, we worship the God who went through the storm. Somebody's like, I don't know what you mean yet. That's okay. Because the reality is that our foundation of our faith is not in some uninterested cosmic deity. It is in the loving sovereign creator. The God who who would stop at nothing to be for us to be in a relationship with him, that even when we wanted nothing to do with God and we tried to do everything on our own strength, our God came to save us. Even when we walked our own way away from the God of life and we ourselves chose to walk toward death, Jesus says, hold up, I'm going to come into this world and I'm going to walk into the storm of death on my own and I'm going to come out of that grave three days later. I'm going to show you that I can walk into the storm and lead you a path through it. And he said so that all those who believe, when you trust in Jesus, you follow me, I'm going to show you that even though the scariest possible thing that any of us can imagine, death itself, that storm is completely outside of our control. Every human being is subject to it. Says I'm going to show you I've made a pathway through it to life now and forever more. We have this hope as the anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And if this is our hope, then when the temperature around us begins to rise, then we can learn how to be a thermostat instead of a thermometer. And you see this is an example all throughout Scripture, right? Time after time, those who trusted God, like, Mo- like Noah, when the world around him was wicked, he trusted in the God over the flood. Moses, when the Israelites were frozen as the Egyptians were coming toward them, Moses trusted in the God who redeems and restores and leads them through. When, when David was, was going through all the things of being a king and all the enemies coming against him, he said, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be what? What? Everybody together, what? Confidence. Why? Because they, like Paul, had their anchor in the eternal hope of the almighty God of love. And because of that, they shifted the atmospheres wherever they were. And when we are anchored in eternal hope, that is then, we, that then we are able to guide others, not in anxiety, but in wisdom, compassion, compassion. And faith. After two weeks, two weeks, sun, stars, not visible. They don't know where they are in the midst of this Mediterranean ocean. They are driven about and the boat's captain and crew realize that the water is starting to get more and more shallow. The land is getting near and they're becoming afraid of a wreck. And the sailors in a sneaky way, go all over to the side to make it look like they're cutting off an anchor. But some of the crew are actually trying to jump in the lifeboat to escape on their own, leaving the rest of the crew without any help. Paul sees it. He tells the Romans. The Romans guard come up and say, yeah, not so fast. And they stop it. But in the midst of, again, that's just to illustrate the anxiety, the fear, the exhaustion, all that's going on around them. But despite all that, what does Paul do? He gets some food. (laughs) Check out verse 33. Verse 33 of chapter 27. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, He took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. See, when we're not living from a state of anxiety, but hope, it's going to become evident to those around us in a few different ways. First, instead of being reactive or following the herd, hope looks for wisdom. See, the wisdom of the sailors were, this ship's going down, we're all going to lose our lives, why eat in the first place? But Paul's like, hold up, let's have some calm wisdom here. If you're going to survive, you got to eat. And so he puts together this meal for the entire ship of 276 people. He was the calm voice of reason. Second, anxiety may lead us to protect our tribe, but hope leads to compassion. Given that the sailors were trying to bail and leave everybody else only caring about their own needs instead of everybody else, it would be very easy for Paul who just made this meal to say, no soup for you. But he doesn't. He generously feeds every person on board. Why? Because I think he knows they're exhausted. They're afraid. And he chooses to show compassion to them. Instead of calling them out, punishing them publicly, a bunch of things he could have done, he feeds them. Third, anxiety may lead to cynicism, but hope points others to faith. So you see that it's over this meal that Paul reminds them of the promise. He says, I know you guys don't believe it. If you believed what I said before, these sailors wouldn't have been bailing on you. And instead of taking that personally, like, why aren't these people believing me? Paul doesn't take it personally. He says, I know you don't believe it. Remember, I'm going to have faith before you do. But let me remind you again of what the promise is, that not one hair on your head is going to be harmed. And then in front of all of these pagan Greek and Roman sailors, he takes the bread he gives thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And then he divvies that out. And I think that's interesting because he doesn't try to mince words or, or pretend as if, well, I have my God, you have your God, right? He, he just gives thanks to God. Why? Because he knows when the promise is fulfilled, as God said, those sailors will need to know who gets the credit. And so he thanks God in front of all of them. I don't know about you, but if, that gives me a little motivation. If you're ever having dinner with a bunch of non-Christians and they look to you to be the one to pray because you're the quote-unquote religious one, pray a bold prayer. See what happens. They'll know who to give credit to at the end. But when we know who our God is, when we know our eternal, unfailing hope, we know where our anchor is, and the God who went right through the storm of death and out the other side. Then we're able to be thermostats of wisdom, compassion, faith, even in the most anxious of environments. This storm may overwhelm us, but God's promise will never be moved. Now, if you've read the rest of Acts 27, you know exactly how the story ends. It ends exactly as God promised it would. They they run up on a sandbar right off the island of Malta. Everybody swims to shore and they're saved, exactly as Paul said. And if you want to see what happens next, read Acts 28 for next week. That will be great. But for us, as we're in the midst of this storm still going on in the midst of our society right now, what does it look like for you and me to find hope, to hold on to that hope, To be steady reminders of wisdom, compassion, and faith, even when the rest of the world, the temperature is high. What does that look like? Well, I think it really begins with learning to be people of prayer. And that's exactly why we as a church, we're going to dedicate the whole month of September to just prayer as a church. In that every morning... Some of you guys, who have been joining me for Trinity Live at 8 a.m. on Facebook. Well, that time is going to be converted starting on Tuesday to just a time of prayer. Where anybody who joins me, it's going to be about 10 minutes, whatever. The Spirit may lead otherwise, right? But whatever it is, it's going to be a time where we just pray together. And we start off our day together on our Trinity Facebook page, just praying. And we're going to do that Monday through Saturday every week In the month of September. Join us. Every Thursday evening in September. John and Karen Janowski. Many of you know them. Fantastic small group leaders here. They're going to be leading a time of prayer. Out here in our parking lot. Right over here near the white tent. From 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Just praying for our nation. Praying for our society. Join them. That's an opportunity as well. On September 13th. We're going to dedicate that Sunday to be, it's going to be after the act series is over, to just a day of prayer together. We're going to meet in here and it's going to be a little bit different, but it's going to be a time when we come together to pray and intercede for everything that's going on. But that's really just going to be the kickoff to a seven-day period of prayer and fasting as a church. You might be familiar with the word consecration. Consecration is that we set apart time for God. And so I urge you, I'm going to talk more about that and explain more what that means in the next couple weeks. But be thinking, God, is there something that I can let go of? Something I can give up for that week that will allow me to focus more singularly on you and who you are? It might be media. It might be some amount of food. It might be some habit that you've been into lately. I don't know. but, But just say, God, is there something that you want me to let go of for that week so that I can more intentionally focus on prayer? We're going to do that together as a church. But in all these ways, we're going to find intentional ways, not just to talk about it, but actually do it. To practice seeking God in the midst of the storm. That even though it's still raging, it's still going on, we're going to praise Him. We're going to worship Him. We're going to look to Him. Does that sound all right to you guys? that sound okay to you guys? All right.